Amen. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? It's good to be here. Guys, 2022 is off to a start. Oh, boy. And we've, uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been tracking with some interesting stories in Scripture. Um, you know, two weeks ago, Victor brought us a word on the promises of God over Abraham and his family. Last week, Lucas picked up on the story tracking with Isaac, Rebecca, and their two sons, Jacob and Esau, and seeing, um, you know, the family drama develop and everything that happens as Jacob wrestles with God to encounter his brother Esau. And today, we're going to keep things going. So I figured at this point, if you're not lost yet with the family of Abraham, we have a thing that I don't know if it'll kind of work. So you see how we've been tracking along? We did Abraham and Sarah two weeks ago. Then we did the family of Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau. And today we're following along with Jacob. And so things get a little messy, all right? You, he has 12 sons total. And you'll notice that these 12 sons go on to become the 12 tribes of Israel as they're known, right? And so Jacob, his other name, Israel, you can see the connection between who Jacob is and who his children are. Um, are. And so I'm really excited for the word that God's put on my heart today. We're going to be focusing on, like I said, the story of Israel, but, but primarily the story of one of the 12 sons. His name is Joseph. And Joseph is, a, you know, has a, it's just a wonderful story for us to reflect on as God's people. And the title for the sermon this morning is Dream It Again. Dream It Again. And I believe that if you're here, if you're listening online, that God has a word for you, that he wants you to dream it again. And I pray that the story that we read and that we'd, we'd be reminded of the, the, the things that God has spoken over our life, that we would take heart and have new hope again in what God has promised. And it's important that as we track with this family tree and everything that's happening in the story, you see, these are some of the foundational stories in Scripture. These are some of the stories that, that make up the heart of, of our faith, right? As, as part of the Old Testament, these are, are stories at the heart of God's people. They're stories of, of God's covenant with, um, you know, with humanity, of, of how God chose to intervene in our lives, and so these stories are foundational. And so I pray as we reflect on the story and the life of, of Joseph that we would understand who we are to God, who we are and who, we, who God has called us to be to one another. I pray that God would speak to your heart as, as we meditate on this story and that God would, would remind you that he is with you, that he's been with you in every stage of your life. So we're going to be picking up the story from Genesis chapter 37. We can start reading, starting from verse 2. We're going to be doing a little bit of Bible reading today. So this is what it says. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bila and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So right off to the start, an interesting little scenario. Joseph is a young man. And here he brings a bad report about his brothers to his father. So we see that Joseph is a snitch. So not a, not a good start for Joseph. 
And see, it's interesting, the word here, and I'm going to try to key us in on some of the themes as we read through this passage, because it's going to become so relevant later on in the story. The word here for a bad report is the Hebrew word ra. It's this word bad or evil. And, and in the Bible, one of the first times we see this word is when God places man and woman in the garden, and he says, don't eat from what tree? The tree of knowledge of good and bad, good and evil. Okay, it's this word ra, and you'll see this theme, the, the idea of good and ra repeated as we track with the story. And so from the outset, Joseph brings a bad report. He goes and tells mom and dad, hey, look, you know, my brothers are doing the wrong thing. And as an older brother, I'm already like, yo, Joseph, what are you doing, man? Let's keep reading. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them, dream it again. You had a dream, maybe. You have a dream. Dream it again. Let's take a look at Joseph's second dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brother, brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down, come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. See, God called his people to be dreamers. Amen. God has called us to be dreamers. And maybe you're starting out like Joseph. You're young, maybe a little immature. You might even be a snitch. And if you are, you already don't have my favor, I'll tell you that. Maybe you're going around and sharing your dreams in ways that aren't always appropriate or really what's best. So not only is Joseph, you know, dreaming and telling on his brothers, but he, he also happens to be the father's favorite. And so the mixture of all of that put together creates this really you know, negative relationship between Joseph and his brothers. We start to see the, the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. The, the, the Bible uses the word hatred, and it talks about how, how the hate in his brother's heart went increasing and increasing. And this is just something that starts to stir up in that family a little bit of this tension. And a little bit of tension between brothers, I think, is normal. I grew up in a house. I have a younger brother. So I understand a little bit of some of that brotherly tension. And uh, my brother and I used to work together not too long ago. We're both software engineers. So we were working together. And I had been working at this place for a couple years when my brother joined. Um, and apparently, I had a lot of patience with everybody except for my little brother. And so as I'm, you know, helping other engineers work on something, you know, we talk through a problem, no, you know, super patient, super, you know, relaxed, cool, calm, collected. And then my brother goes to ask me a question, and I'm like, come on, man, don't waste my time. You can figure it out. You know, don't you call me over here to look at this. You'll figure it out. 
And I didn't even realize this difference in my demeanor. One of my coworkers was like, you ever notice that you talk really rudely to your brother? I was like, do I really? They're like, yeah, you're really harsh on him. Meanwhile, you're like super nice to everybody else. And, and a little bit of this tension is normal. I was actually trying to help my brother out, you know? A little tough love can make you a little bit of a better engineer. And a little bit of that tension is normal, but you'll notice that in, in Joseph's family, it was a little bit more than what's, no, what's normal, right? And sometimes in a family, it's normal to get angry. It's, it's actually funny. There's only two people in the world that can make me, like, really angry, and it's my little brother and my wife, right? You take those two people. They know exactly the right buttons to push. Uh, and not that long ago, Sarah and I were arguing in our, in our like, hallway at our house, and I don't know what she said, but it was probably me like believing in her hopes and dreams and her being like, I don't believe in them, something like that. And at one point I just got so mad. I literally, I'm not kidding, I became Italian. I was like, and then I was like, do you see what you just did to me? You made me 100% Italian in like 15 seconds of arguing. And family can do that to us, but there's a breaking point where that dynamic becomes completely unhealthy and unsustainable. And I think in the life of Joseph, we start to see that happen. You see, I think Joseph probably even knew when he shared his dreams with his brothers that this is probably not a great idea. You see, later on, we're going to see a couple dreams that are a little bit more cryptic. But Joseph's dreams are pretty obvious. It does not take the wisest man to come and interpret Joseph's dream. It's pretty clear what Joseph is getting at in his dream. But Joseph, Joseph shares with his brothers. And it's important to see that, that as, as we look at these dreams, I, I like to point out the parts of Scripture that maybe are kind of weird when you first read it. And on multiple rereadings, you start to see the patterns that, the, that Scripture has laid out for us to grasp onto. And so here's what's interesting. You'll notice that Joseph has two dreams, right? And in the first dream, it's just the 12 sheaves. And in the second one, there's a small addition of the sun and the moon, right, along with the stars. And what's interesting is you're going to see this pattern a lot in the story of Joseph of two dreams. Later on, there's going to be a baker and a cupbearer. Two dreams, both which, with, which reflect the same reality. And then after that, you're going to see Pharaoh come into the picture. And guess what? Two more dreams from Pharaoh. And there's constantly this patterning of two going on in these passages. And, and what does it mean? You see, when, when Joseph later on explains it to Pharaoh, here's, here's how he says it. He says, the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh twice is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. The two dreams of Joseph, and maybe in this moment of his life he didn't know it, but it's because it was firmly decided by God, and that it would be happening soon in his life. And what's interesting is in the second dream, it's a little bit different. You, there's, it includes the moon and the sun, and we, we start to see a, a, a different picture of what that future is going to look like. But two dreams means what? It's firmly decided, and it will happen soon. And so this entire dynamic, the dreams, the, the favoritism from the father, stirs up that hatred in the heart of his brothers. And if we're not careful, right, if we're the ones maybe with this bitterness building in our hearts, we'll start acting in ways looking to, to crush the hopes and dreams of people around us out of our own bitterness. And that's exactly what happens as we keep reading. 
Um, going from verse 19, here, here's what happens. Joseph is going out to the field, sent by his father to go find his brothers. And here's, here's what happens. In verse 19, it says, Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. We see Reuben trying to save his brother. That's not what happens. Continuing from verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him in the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agree. And just like that, Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brothers. And notice who Joseph is sold to. It's these people called the Ishmaelites. And I don't know if we're tracking with the full tree, but Ishmael, going back to Abraham and Sarah, was Isaac's half-brother, right? The same father, but to a, a different mother. And so we see that Joseph is literally sold to his own relatives. It's not that far removed, guys. It's like you go back to your grandparents and you have, you know, you, you walk down the tree, and these are literally Joseph's own family members, and we see Joseph's brothers selling him to the other half of the family. See, in, in Joseph's immaturity and in, and in his brother's hatred, we think, like, this is it, right? Joseph is literally sold into slavery. How can the dreams that he had ever actually come to pass? But, but what's crazy is the brothers think that by selling Joseph and doing what they can to destroy him, that they've now destroyed the dreams of that, that he shared with them. See, the, the brothers say, if we look in verse 19, here comes that dreamer. Come, let's kill him, and then we'll see what happens to his dreams. They think by, by going out of their way to, to ruin Joseph's life that they're going to be destroying the dreams and plans of God over him. But we know better. See, they, they don't realize that in all of this evil, what they're actually doing is being used by God to create the final outcome that God had already put in Joseph's dreams. See, they, they don't realize, they think they're doing something evil, and they are, their hearts are filled with evil, but even that, God is saying, I can turn that around. You see, sometimes we, we think our mistakes are too much for God, that our evil, our own shortcomings is, is too much for God. God, how could you ever make something good come out of this? But what if I told you God can use even your shortcomings, even your worst moments for his purposes and his goodness? See, our mistakes aren't greater than our God. And God doesn't have to do this, but he chooses to do this. He's merciful to the life of Joseph. And, and through the evil that his brothers planned for him, he decides to bring about something good. Through the death that Joseph's brothers had plotted, instead God decides, I will bring life. And maybe you're like Joseph and you feel like the dreams that God's put in your heart are done. You're like, man, my own brothers abandoned me and sold me into slavery. 
That's it. There's nothing left. There's more to this story that I want to share with you this morning. Reading from Genesis chapter 39, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, and both, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. You see, here we're starting to see some of the developments that we haven't seen before through the family of Abraham. See, because the original promise that God made to Abraham was that through him and through his descendants, all the nations would be blessed. And we're kind of like, all right, like, let's see how this unfolds. And unfortunately for us, the patriarchs have a kind of um, series of setbacks in their life. You'll, you'll see these moments where God calls them to do something, and they kind of do it, but not really in the way you would expect a man of God to do it. They step into foreign land, right? And they have a wife, and instead of trusting God, they're afraid, like Victor told us in his sermon two weeks ago. And instead of trusting God, they actually decide, you know what? We're going to lie and manipulate this situation. And what do those patriarchs bring when they go to these foreign places? They don't bring blessing. Instead, what happens is the curses of God fall on those people. Because the, the, the kings take Abraham or Isaac's wife for themselves. And then what happens? God says, you know, God shows up in like this crazy way saying, you've taken this man's wife. And to them, they have no idea what's going on. See, the lying of the patriarch, so far, all we've seen is the disastrous outcome. All we've seen is curses come about because of the lying of the patriarchs. But here, we're starting to see a new beginning. We're starting to see that wherever Joseph goes, it seems like God is with him. He's sold into slavery and ends up in the house of an Egyptian but the Bible tells us that God has gone with him, that God has gone before him, that everything he does is blessed, and that through him, the entire house of the Egyptian master is blessed. And you start saying, like, you know, wait a second, this is the picture of what God has promised that we should be. And church, don't you know that we've been grafted into this family? You see, the, the picture that scripture gives us is not that like, oh, this is a promise for over there and we're entirely something else and Jesus completely forgets about what happened. Like, no, Jesus continues the story. You see, through Jesus, through the fulfillment of what was promised, we are now grafted into this family. What does that mean? It means that as you step into your workplaces, yeah, you might be the only person in that space who knows Jesus, but guess what? That space can be transformed by your presence there. That God can bring blessing to all the nations through you. And through each and every one of us, we're meant to change the atmospheres we walk into. 
You see, your, your team at work might not know Jesus, but if the Spirit of God is in you, then, then, then they'll be transformed. That atmosphere is already transformed when you step into the picture. If the Spirit is, is in you, then the favor of the Lord is on you, church. Where you go, God is with you. If the Spirit of God is in you, the favor of the Lord is upon you in a way that can transform those spaces. If you're willing to maybe not step into those places complaining and, and with the wrong mindset, if you recognize that maybe God has positioned you here for a purpose, you can transform those atmospheres. You might not know this, but God is with you. God goes before you. And see, the, the world is constantly trying to get us in the wrong mindset. If we listen to what the world tells us, it'll constantly put us in the, with the wrong perspective. Because the, the world will tell you that, you know what, there's just not enough resources out there. We can't, you know, we can't bless everybody. There's just not enough. You know, what the world has is scarcity. The world doesn't have enough for everybody to get a slice. But what's crazy is scripture tells us the exact opposite. You see, as the world tells you that you have to lie, cheat, steal, kill, and step on whoever you have to step on to get to the top. That's not the picture that the Bible paints for us. See, Scripture teaches us that God is not a God of, like, just barely enough. God is not a God of, you know, just making it by and just surviving another week. God is a God of, of abundance. God is a God of blessing. God is a God who multiplies, not divides. It's not there's just barely enough. God is the God of abundance. Because scarcity is not something God created. If we look at the story, when God places Adam and Eve in the garden, it's not like they're struggling to make it through. No, they're placed in an abundant space. God forms them from the dust of the earth. He makes them royalty, kings and queens. He places them in a garden with abundant trees and fruit. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. God is a God of abundance. See, but scarcity is the thing that we make. When God puts us somewhere and in our fear, in our doubts, in our insecurities, in our greed, we decide to take and hold on. We decide to, to take and keep for ourselves. We can't be bothered to share with others because we're afraid there's not enough. So what do we do? We make scarcity where there's supposed to be abundance and blessing. And you'll see that when Joseph steps into the picture, Eden is restored a little bit in the house of Potiphar. When, when Joseph steps into the house, we see the picture of God reigning over that place. We see somebody who is like Adam come to restore the blessing and abundance of God. And God is with him. You might be thinking, I have no authority, Eric. I can't be like Joseph. I have no authority where I work. Maybe you're thinking, Eric, I'm just a housekeeper. How can I change anything where I show up? Guys, Joseph is a slave in the house of Potiphar. See, where God has placed you, he will use you. It doesn't matter where you are on the social totem pole. It doesn't matter the, the social status that people put on you. Because the status that people assign to you will never overshadow the authority that God has placed on you. The, the status that somebody tries to label you with, that will never overshadow the authority that God has put over you. God is a God of abundance. And when Joseph stepped into that house, there was abundance. There was blessing. It didn't matter that Joseph was an immigrant slave, probably barely spoke the language. Could you imagine him trying to communicate with the Egyptians? 
But everything Joseph did, the Lord blessed. Everywhere Joseph stepped, the Lord was with him. And as we continue the story, we're going to see it's not like Joseph had it easy, sold as a slave. And now as as we track with the story, we see that, that Joseph is now kind of attacked by Potiphar's wife. She sees him handsome, favorable, and all of a sudden we start seeing a, 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 a bad twist to the story. And like I mentioned so far, all we've seen is the patriarchs kind of make mistakes as they step into foreign lands. And here you'll notice that that um, the, the story of Joseph completely flips what previously happens, right? So we have this pattern where the patriarch steps into a foreign place, he lies and manipulates the situation, brings about curse for the other people, and then as a result, God steps in the picture and fixes everything. He tells the guy, yo, you're with the man's wife, give her back, and God, by his own grace and mercy, you know, resolves the situation that that patriarch had created. But here, Joseph breaks the cycle. We see Joseph step into foreign lands, and instead of lying and manipulating the situation, God is with him, and Joseph is righteous. The wife of his master comes to him, and Joseph rejects her, and we see that in Joseph's own righteousness, we see kind of the opposite happen now. Joseph isn't saved and walk out of the situation with everything working out. No, now he goes from slave to prisoner. And we thought things couldn't get any worse, but he goes from slave to prisoner because of his righteousness. See, it's, it's interesting. I think by putting these two examples side by side for us, Scripture's trying to show us something really awesome. God doesn't need your righteousness to make his plans and purposes happen. See, the patriarchs, even as they messed up, God didn't need their righteousness. Now, it would have been great if they could have followed and trusted God in those moments, But God didn't need it. He makes his purposes happen even when we fail. And even though God doesn't need it, let me tell you something. When you are willing to trust God in those situations, God can do so much more through you. And God wants to do so much more through you. Instead of stepping into a place and getting curses and drama and and all this noise, you can step in like Joseph and bring abundance and blessing where you go. But sometimes you'll see that the righteous attitude and that stepping into a place with God and and doing the things that you know God has called you to do, sometimes even that won't get you promoted. Sometimes what happens as a result of your posture and you saying, no, I refuse on this, I refuse to compromise, is you'll need to go through a, a moment of suffering. You'll need to experience, and and here's how Joseph says it as he rejects Potiphar's wife. He says, how could I do such a wicked sin against God? He's not even thinking about, you know, his master. He's thinking like, man, God, how could I do this before you? And what's the reward that Joseph gets? He's put into prison. See, sometimes you'll need to suffer in order to do what's right. But I love this. Man, did you guys know that in in the the book of Genesis, the first person to be described as filled with the Spirit of God is Joseph. In the entire stories as we track along, Joseph is the one that's called filled with the Spirit of God. And so where he goes, man, God is with him. Let's keep reading. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. So... 
uh, in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You guys starting to notice a pattern in Joseph's life? It doesn't matter if he's a slave or a prisoner. The Lord is with him. Everywhere he goes, the favor of the Lord is with him. Church, I, I, I believe that you know, a lot of us maybe showed up in this country not knowing the plans and purposes that God had for us, but with dreams of what God had for us, with dreams of what God would do through you in this place. And maybe over time, things have happened that have put you in a situation where you no longer see the, the potential outcome of those dreams, where you no longer think it's possible where you think, God, I've, I've gone from being an immigrant to, to losing my job, or I've gone from being an immigrant to really struggling here in this country. How could my dreams ever come to pass? I want to remind you that even in these moments, God is with you. That you are filled with the Spirit, and the favor of the Lord is still upon you. You, know, you might have ended up somewhere that you didn't imagine you'd be, but I want to invite you to dream again this morning to not, not surrender the, the purposes that God has spoken over your life. Joseph finds himself in prison. And eventually a couple, you know, royal officials also find themselves tossed into prison. A cupbearer a cup and a baker. And again, we'll, we'll see this pattern of dreams. Two dreams. Why? Why two? It's firmly decided by God. And what he says will happen soon. And so the two dreams are of one baker who, unfortunately for him, is going to experience death. And the cupbearer is going to experience exaltation in life. And the two dreams, again, it's decided and it will happen. And Joseph interprets these dreams. And lo and behold, the cupbearer is restored to his position of authority. And the baker is, experiences some hardship, to say the least. You see, the two dreams again parallel the, this idea, hey, if it's spoken twice, it's because God really means it. And it's interesting, in the Hebrew language, this is like a really common thing. When there's repetition, it's because a word is emphasized. When, when, when God warns um, Adam and Eve that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is dangerous, he says, you will, if you eat from this tree, you will die, die. You will surely die is how it's translated in English. See, this repetition is very important. When God says it twice, you should be paying attention. It's going to be important. And two years go by where the cupbearer has forgotten Joseph, and then Pharaoh has a dream. But not just one dream. How many dreams? Two. And the two dreams, at this point, nobody can interpret them. And the cupbearer comes and, and says, oh, wait a second. There's this guy who has the spirit of the gods in him in prison. We should get that guy to try to interpret this dream. And Pharaoh does that. He calls Joseph to come and interpret the dream. And when Pharaoh tells his dream, and now this, at this point in the story, it starts getting ridiculous. Pharaoh doesn't tell his dream once. He tells his dream how many times? Twice. <laughs> and so Pharaoh goes and tells Joseph his dreams. And we see Joseph interpret the dreams, and, and instantly 
Joseph's life is turned around. He is promoted to be the second most powerful person in all of the land of Egypt. And what's interesting is we start to see the patterns again in the dream of Pharaoh. We see Tov and Ra. These Tov is, is good in Hebrew and Ra is bad. And we see these good cows that are, you know, like plump and healthy. And we see these bad cows that are like skinny and thin. And it's so awesome, these, these subtle hints that scripture will, will, will toss at us because it's supposed to remind you of the moments in scripture when people have had to discern good and bad, right? And so in the garden, we saw Adam and Eve make the mistake of, of deciding what good and evil was for themselves. They decided to take the fruit. And yet here in the story of Joseph, we see somebody who trusts God, who says, I can't tell you what your dream means, but there's a God who can. And that God comes and reveals Tov and Ra and what they mean. The skinny cows mean years of famine. The, the plump and healthy cows, the good cows, they mean years of prosperity. And so Joseph is set to oversee all of it. In the years of prosperity, Joseph will gather and store away grain so that in the years of famine, there can still be life in the land of Egypt. And it's, it's so crazy. The, the picture of, of Joseph's transition, going from literally being a prisoner to being royalty in the house of Pharaoh, is, is so beautiful. And, and John Salehammer breaks it down like this. He says, Adam was created to trust God and discern good from evil. But Joseph discerns good and evil before Pharaoh. Adam is made God's royal representative to rule over the land, but falls short. But Joseph is elevated to be Pharaoh's royal representative and brings life to all the land. Adam is made in God's image, and here we see Pharaoh give Joseph a signet ring, and his robe meant that he is the image of, of rulership and authority in Egypt. God provided Adam with Eve as his wife, and so Pharaoh provides Joseph with his wife. And we see all of these connections that the authors are making back to Genesis, back to the garden. And we see that through the life of one person. God's restoring life and, and his creation over Egypt through the life of one who was with him, through the life of one who walked with him, through the life of one who said, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what is right in this situation, even if it gets me in trouble, even if it costs me my life, I will do what is right before God. How can I sin before him? Through the life of one, we see all of this poured out over Egypt. And it's, it's awesome. It doesn't, this promise doesn't just end with Joseph because this is really a promise of one much better who is to come. See, as, as we're starting to come to an end, we see that everything that's happened in Joseph's life up until now is really the promise, is really still the fulfillment of the, the dreams that God had given him as a kid, as a 17-year-old kid. We start to see those promises fulfilled. You see, eventually jumping further down the story, eventually Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt. The famine is so severe throughout all the land that Joseph's brothers come in need of food. And now, if you're tracking with the story, you're like, oh man, Joseph is going to give it to them now. And he treats his brothers show, show up in Egypt, and he treats them well. He gives them even back their silver as they show up. He realizes that they didn't bring their youngest brother with him, and he creates this plan to meet his younger brother, Benjamin. He says, go back with your father and bring, bring this younger brother to me. 
And so eventually the younger brothers return to Canaan and come back to Egypt requesting food. And now Joseph's like, I'm going to put these guys to the test. I remember how they reacted to the favor that was shown to me. And so what does he do? He holds a banquet with all his brothers. And to the youngest brother, he gives five times what everybody else gets. To the youngest brother is showered favor. And how do they react? The Bible tells us that there was no negative reaction. It seems like the brothers have maybe slowly over time begun to change. And eventually Joseph has one last plan to kind of startle his brothers. He, he puts a, a, a cup, a silver cup, into the sack of Benjamin, the youngest son, to frame him as a thief. He wants to see how the brothers will react to this. And in despair, when they find the cup in Benjamin's sack, they're like, oh my God, they're going to kill Benjamin. They're going to keep him as a slave, a prisoner. What, what can we do now? And look at how Judah, the, the brother that was like, you know what, we should sell Joseph into slavery. Look at how Judah responds now. He says, let me remain here as a slave in place of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers, but, but keep me in his place. See, Judah, guess who tried? I love the Bible so much. There's so many things that we need to be paying attention to. You see, Judah is the line that Jesus eventually comes from. It's from the line of Judah we get David and eventually Jesus. And so who's the one that gives up himself for his brother? It's Judah. Judah says, take me in my brother's place. And I want to invite up the band as now we're coming to a close. Judah offers him up himself up in place of his brothers. And this is the conclusion we get in Genesis 45. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. He cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no, no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his, his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. See, maybe his brothers are thinking like, oh my God, this is Joseph. Man, we're done for. Like we, we cast him out as a slave. He's going to throw us all into prison. But look at Joseph's response to his brothers. Come close to me, he says. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph looks at everything that happened to him and he said that all the evil he experienced in his life and he he says, it was to save lives that God sent me. He looks at the evil his brothers had done in selling him into slavery. And he's like, guys, God sent me here. Coming to an end in verse 8. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. Man, Joseph's words are so powerful. He can look the evil that his brothers did in his life. He can look them right in the eyes and say, guys, God sent me here. That somehow God used your evil. Somehow God worked through your bitterness and hatred and God sent me here. 
Where's the hatred that Joseph should have for his brotherness? Where's the bitterness, the fury? See, instead, in Joseph, we don't see any of that. We see the Spirit of God with Joseph, and we see the fruit of the Spirit in Joseph's life. He weeps with joy at the presence of those who betrayed him. He weeps with joy. My brothers are back. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, Joseph is a picture for us of who Jesus is. See, Joseph was this son that was uniquely loved by his father. Jesus is the son who was uniquely loved by his father, the son of God. Joseph sold for silver by his own brothers. Jesus was sold for silver by his own disciples. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and Jesus was falsely accused by the religious leaders. Joseph appears before his brothers and is not recognized. They don't know who they stand before. Jesus appears to his disciples, and he is also not recognized. Joseph reveals himself and and saves the brothers who had betrayed him. Jesus reveals himself to the disciples and, and saves the people who had turned away from him after his death. Joseph's brothers bowed down before him in recognition. And all, like Lucas was saying earlier, all will bow down to Jesus when they come to know who he is. What Joseph's brothers meant for harm, God turned for good. And what the powers of darkness thought they were, when when the powers of darkness thought they were winning over the life of Jesus, they thought, now we have him, we've crucified God himself. Guess what? God turns death into life in Jesus. There is resurrection and new life in Jesus for you here this morning. As we we get ready to worship, I want to invite you to stand up. I want to invite you to dream again here this morning. To put before God the dreams that, that maybe he put in your heart when you first arrived here. That you would be challenged to trust God afresh to trust God anew with with the plans and purposes that he has for you. Jesus is here this morning. He alone has the authority to make your dreams actually happen. I want to invite you to trust him, to trust him this morning. Church, will we dream it again? Dream it again. Say, God, if if you said it, say it again to me, God, because I know if you speak it twice, then that means it is decided by you, God. Lord, if you'll make me dream again, Lord, if you'll restore this dream in my heart, it's because it is decided by you, God. And what you've decided, nobody can deny. What you've, you've said will happen, God, will come to pass. And I will trust you in that dream. I will trust you with everything that I have. Let's sing this out one more time to him this morning.